Blog Talk Radio. Today's show is a rebroadcast of one of our previous favorite episodes, and because of this, we regret that we're unable to take your live calls today. Hello and good evening, everyone. This is Frank J. Maduri, host of Undivided, and this is Undivided for August 2nd, 2017, here on a rainy and stormy August 2nd, 2017. And first off, my thoughts and prayers go out to those who were affected by uh, any flooding or storms. Uh, I know in New Jersey we've had a a number of them today um, in an area that's been uh, affected by Sandy. Uh, certainly have um, we certainly have empathy for that here um, and I just wanted to um, let you know that there was there's some kind of technical issue uh, the audible show open uh, did not play so I wanted to let everyone know that this uh, broadcast is being sponsored by audible.com uh, that's audible.com for all your audio needs I don't know why that didn't play and uh, to ignore that uh, other message that came across about not being able to take calls, that's not true. Um, uh, It's some kind of glitch in the system. So feel free to call in. Uh, I will give the guest line number now, and um, uh, later on in the show we'll have an interactive segment. That number is 646-716-9397. And again, welcome to Undivided. Uh, This is our third episode and is titled Hope Over Despair. Uh, my special guest this evening is Dennis Marshall. Uh, Dennis is uh, an MBA and a senior product manager, uh, or project manager, excuse me. Um, he's worked in the telecommunications field. Uh, he's also a published science fiction author, is uh, author of the uh, book called The Alpha Treaty, uh, which was published in 2005 through Publish America. Uh, he's uh, newly been um, appointed commissioner of evangelization and spiritualization in St. James Parish in Woodbridge, New Jersey. So another New Jersey guy here. Um, uh, Married for 32 years. His wife, Angela, uh, has three grown sons. And uh, we'll get into that as well um, about his children. And um, uh, has a lot of interesting hobbies and uh, creative writing and photography and uh, playing in a rock band. Uh, But Dennis is going to come on and talk to you all about having hope when life gets really desperate. And that can happen uh, very easily uh, today as as you look around uh, the world today. uh, It's easy to see that. Uh, The uh, amount of headlines, sheer headlines that have been uh, come across in the the recent uh, news cycle, uh, 12-year-old, uh, recently just committed suicide because of cyberbullying. Uh, uh, husband and wife, this, uh, the headline this morning, uh, excuse me, was they uh, jumped from a, the uh, top of a building, ninth floor of a building on 33rd Street in Manhattan together and left uh, two suicide notes uh, due to debt in a, a business. He was an independent, he was a chiropractor and had his own business and and they committed suicide because of that despair uh, drives people to the unthinkable. 
here in New Jersey, I mentioned earlier, we were dealing with some storms today. We've also been dealing with a lot of uh, people drowning. In New Jersey alone, in the recent uh, summer months, we've had 23 drownings. And that's not by coincidence, not just accidental. Uh, that's, a, a, that's a major problem, and that's something that is driven by uh, the despair that seems to pervade in our society. I feel like we've been overdosed by this uh, with suicides and uh, substance abuse issues and the opioid crisis and heroin. and uh, Everywhere you turn around, it seems that there's this despair just permeating, permeating our uh, societal construct, if you will. Uh, hope is really an outlook. It's a state of mind. It's a conscious choice, just as despair is a conscious choice, and we're going to get into that as well. Uh, people can struggle with despair. Hope is something that is, is very easy. Uh, it's very light. It provides so much uh, joy and so much uh, progress and potential. So we're going to talk about how we get from one, one area, one spot, that desperation uh, to an area uh, where there is hope and, and joy and peace and harmony, harmony within yourself and also harmony within your neighborhood, your school, your community. This is the culture uh, driving this despair. You know, the, the, the negative news cycle that we talked about in episode two with Bill Ross, the continual plague it seems of societal culture driving fear and driving despair into our consciousness. You know, somebody said to me recently, it's in front of your face at all times, that if you were someone that struggled, you're having a hard time getting away from it. So it, it drives you even further into that, almost that black hole, that abyss, if you will, uh, that the, the world is trying and, and, and our culture is really trying to divide people through that, divide families, divide schools, divide neighborhoods and workplaces. Bullying is a really, I'll circle back to that, speaking of schools, bullying is a, a very, very powerful thing that needs to be mitigated and, and erased. In the case of the 12-year-old girl recently here in New Jersey, her mother had a meeting with the school administration the day her, her child committed suicide that morning. It is just absolutely unbelievable and absolutely saddening to me that our society is just so bereft of hope, hope that could be found in, in certainly in God and through a spiritual connection, could be found through love, could be found through a belief in someone or something that at least will give us, as some people would say, a reason to quote-unquote live. Hope is there. It's, it's again, it's, it's a conscious choice. It's facing down those fears. It's reaching out to those around you uh, to talk about how you're feeling, which can be difficult. It's people in certain situations being open to listening and to being there for someone who is right in front of them and stepping away, as you say, stepping outside of where you think you want to be that day or what you think you have going on that day 
into embracing the situation in front of you. And Dennis is going to talk a lot about that. Dennis Marshall is going to talk about situations in his life when he, he when I get him up in a couple minutes here. Uh, they talk about situations in his life where he was able to overcome some of that despair, some really serious issues, and consciously choose hope, consciously choose faith. You know, our faith and many other faiths uh, teach the, some of these tenets, the three tenets, three main components, faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love, of course, but without the other two, you can't have that. So hope also provides you with that. There's a daily struggle in life, uh, and hope can get thrown off course. So we're going to talk about that too. You know, so very easily you can make that choice and make that turn and say, okay, I, uh, I want to be a, a hopeful person. I want to live my life a different way. And then all of a sudden, one thing goes off the course or off the rails, as they say, and everything kind of follows suit. And it's hard for some people to get back on that track. Uh, faith certainly helps in that aspect. Uh, different activities, being surrounded by different people would also help in those aspects as well. So we're going to talk with, uh, with Dennis uh, Marshall about that as well. Uh, he has a, a background, is also a spiritual leader, as I mentioned before, a motivational speaker. He's sp spoken with groups and presented things to groups uh, around this construct and around faith and spirituality. So we're going to connect some of those dots. Um, as I went through the show last, uh, last time, uh, we'll have different segments as well. So now without uh, further ado, I'm going to uh, connect up this call here. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello, this is Dennis calling in. Uh, yes, Dennis. Without further ado, sorry, I did, uh, didn't connect right away. Dennis Marshall, ladies and gentlemen, joins Undivided Episode 3. Thank you, Dennis, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Frank. Can you hear me okay? That's always the first question I ask, uh, especially a guest co-host. Yes, I can hear you. How about on your end? Yes, perfect. Awesome. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the uh, Undivided. Thank you again for agreeing to come on. And uh, as we discussed uh, before coming on air, you know, the uh, topic for this evening is Hope Over Despair. And there's, I'm sure, many times... Uh, in your life just as in mine where you felt despair and uh, how did you find hope amidst all of that adversity and I know you'll probably talk about some of the adversities we get going but uh, how did you uh, connect hope amidst all of that when you faced that in your life well it, the most dramatic um, event that happened in my life was the first time I heard that my son Mikey was diagnosed with autism when that happened, uh, I began entering into those psychological stages of grief. They're outlined by um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's a um, pioneer in the near-death studies and author of um, the groundbreaking book on death and dying. I had studied that many years ago in high school. And so when you're going through those stages, the first stage, of course, is denial. 
They're like, nah, it can't be my son. It can't be my Mikey. Uh, he never did anything. And then you, you pass through that stage into age where it's anger. And it's sort of like, why him? Why me? Why my family? Go through those questions. And then you go through, you start bargaining. Start bargaining with God. You know, if I do one more thing, if I bring more food to the food pantry, if I um, adopt more children from foster parents, if I um, become a better co-worker, will you heal Mikey? You go through those bargaining things, and it sounds kind of, um, in a way, very, very juvenile in a way, to do stuff like that, but, you, but I did go through that. So I knew that there was no cure for autism. At least we don't have any, even to this day, and Mikey is 28 years old. We found out when he was um, diagnosed at three years old, so for 25 years, that's the reality. So I went ex- directly to, I believe, the um, master of the universe and chief doctor among all of us, all creation, and asking for a healing. And then the healing doesn't come. What do you do? Start going through the stages of depression. And it's sort of like, how could you do this? How could you not try to healing? Um, you start using those questions, and you start very much getting very distant, distant from the Lord in a way. And finally, you come to a level of acceptance and surrender, and you say to yourself, well, your, your will will be done, Lord. And it took 10 years to get through all those stages. From 1991 to 2001, I was sort of toe-to-toe fighting with the Holy Trinity. And from a Catholic person's perspective, it's probably one of the worst things you can most likely do is take on the Holy Trinity in a fight. You're not going to win. So what what transpired in that time is I, I blame God directly all of this. And like I said, it's very easy to be a believer in Christianity, and it's very easy to believe Catholic dogma when nothing wrong goes in your life. When everything's smooth sailing, you could love your neighbor, you could even love enemies, and you never really encountered any, per se. It's very easy to do that. But the minute something happens that directly affects you, all bets are off, at least in my case. I felt very, very much attached and hurt from God. And I set out systematically really to destroy the spiritual bridge between my heart and the heart, the sacred heart of God. You know, I, I had a lot of anger. And at that time, you know, my sins of commission, the ones you commit, and then there's the sins of omission, spiritually destroyed every part of that bridge destroy the roadways and all the cables and the two towers and the foundational piers that the towers stood on and the anchors on both ends. And after a while, all that remained between me, my heart, and the sacred heart of Christ was a wide gulf end to end. I was taking wow. um, my... Yeah, so it was like... It was that it's amazing how much, when you're really confronted in life, how angry you can be and how much you want to strike back. So I really couldn't, there's no one that really caused this in my mind. There was no car accident that caused this, or there's no, nothing, there's no, um, nothing that was any malfeasance on anyone else's part that did this. This was 
in God's will. God permitted this to happen. And so it was between me and God. And But in all that time that I did destroy that, I was constantly bringing my to one healing mass after another, all throughout the state of New Jersey for years. I was going to church every Sunday, receiving Christ in the Eucharist. Some days I went to church on the way to work. Some days I went to church on lunchtime. What's going to I going to church on Sundays. Sometimes going to the tabernacle for a quick prayer after after work. And I also kept going to the sacrament of reconciliation. And what what I was getting forgiving, given all the time. But what was lacking in my heart was actually forgiving God of this situation. And every week wow. after I'm receiving all those graces through the sacraments of reconciliation and the sacraments of the Eucharist and all of those prayers, it was as if all those graces were being hollowed out of me, as if the devil had an ice cream scooper and he was scooping it out of my soul and throwing it away. So what happened was the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit fought for 10 years to rebuild that spiritual bridge. I didn't rebuild it. They rebuilt it. And they did it to a point where, after 10 years, I received total joy beyond all understanding. But it took three separate instances of what the Holy Spirit did on my behalf, what God the Father did, and what Jesus himself did. And as a project manager, you know, I, I look at back at this, and I look at it as, this was a real project. I was a real project having to get over this anger and despair. And even try, even as I, I'm going through this, this may be shocking for some of your listeners who know me, because no one really could tell. I didn't bring this up to really anyone to this depth yet. So this is the first time on your show I'm telling everyone the depth of the despair I was in. I didn't, I didn't seek any um, advice from anyone. I didn't seek any professional help from anyone. I was seeking everything from God, totally from God. But you still in kept going. Of, you, in spite of destroying still, everything. You still kept going back, too, right? Yes. You, you, have yes, to, you have to give yourself credit for that. Was, you, still, you still kept coming back. Um, and like you said, going for a quick prayer. Other people would have maybe been so angry that they quit on that as well. So I think it's, it's definitely got to be a two-way street. You're listening to Undivided Episode 3, Hope Over Despair, a quick uh, promo. As we're about 18 minutes into the program at this point, uh, Mark Shaw, Mark My Words, 9 p.m. Sunday, August 6th, on Life Coach Radio Network. Again, that's Mark Shaw on his show, Mark My Words, 9 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, August 6th, on the Life Coach Radio Network. We're back here on Undivided with my uh, very special guest, Dennis Marshall. Dennis, thank you so much for being uh, so honest and agreeing to do this and, and putting this out there, what's got to be very, really uh, sensitive uh, material from your own personal life. How do you feel that people suffering, they can feel so much depression like you alluded to before, you can feel depression and despair. How do you find hope when you're in that, in that cycle? Well, the way I, I way I viewed it is, I know that Mikey was not terminally ill, but he had a condition that was lifelong. So I know that was I was not 
I was not separated from him. And I had a lot of hope and joy from my family itself as a whole. There were things we could go and do as a whole family, and then there were things we could do just with Mike, this is the way he would get upset. There were things that I would do with just my other two sons. So within that context, and the, the beauty of my wife and the loyalty she showed me, and she knew that something was, was wrong. She said, you know, you're really not yourself. Sometimes on the very, very bad days, because I wouldn't have a sense of humor, I wouldn't have any, um, I, I'd look off into the distance type thing. But she, she stayed, and she was very much abiding by me. I know that she went through quite a bit herself, but a mother's perspective is quite different. Um, mother is very practical. But once she heard about this, she said, okay, what do I need to do, and when do I need to do it? I was the one, I guess it's the male pride thing, I was going to say, nah, it can't be him, nah, I can't do this. And so I was sort of like tagging along with her as she's going through and getting Mikey um, to the certain doctors that he needed to see certain, and certain programs in school that he needed to get to and all those things. So that's how the hope was there because God was sending us the right individuals to help Mikey at the right times. And that, all that timing was perfect each and every time. And that's what I started to notice, that you know, it's, God doesn't work through thunder and lightning anymore like he did in the Old Testament or burning bushes. He works through people. And the people were starting to bring hope into the situation. One of the most dramatic things, even though it sounds mundane, was just to have Mikey sit in a barber's chair without getting upset and get a haircut. One of the teachers took time out on a Saturday to come with us to the barbershop so Mikey would be calm. And then we wanted Mikey to receive his sacraments um, in St. James in Woodbridge, uh, New Jersey, St. James Parish. And one of the other teachers who was not Catholic, not a Christian, came with us to church every Sunday just to make sure Mikey was calm in church that he could do that. So that we were sent a lot of beautiful, beautiful individuals while I'm going through this journey of this grief and this these stages of death and dying, that's where the hope was coming in. People are going to be sent your way that are either going to give you information or they're going to show you a better way to be. And that was without, without fail, God brought every single one of those people from our midst. That's where you look for. If you're in the midst of something that you're going through and you can't see through the fog you're in, God is going to send somebody with a flashlight for you. And it's going to be maybe some unlikely source of a person that you never, ever would even guess would help you. And that it could be even a stranger on the bus that I've met uh, one person in, in particular that even uh, taught me how to say a certain prayer, the divine mercy, that I had never known before. And this person shouted out in a bus, I have a computer problem. I wish God sent me someone that was a computer expert, and I happened to be sitting next to her. And I said, well, I think God answered your prayer because I'm sitting next to you. So there were instances like this where you where you'd get somebody who would be in need and then you'd help them, and in effect, you're being helped as well. So that that's one of the things, too. In, in the midst of all this, even though, I, like I said, destroyed that bridge, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus himself went back and rebuilt it. Now, looking at it like a project, some project manager, there were phases. The phase, first phase was, you know, I call it the bridge project phase one, the Holy Spirit contracting service. 
right? Now, a bridge, like you can imagine, has two anchored ends, two towers, you know, two piers, and a roadway span in between. And interestingly enough, all your creativity comes from, from God. And as any good programmer would do, having administrative rights has backdoors into his program, her program. So the Holy Spirit's backdoor into me was my creative writing skill. And through that backdoor, he rebuilt in my heart the anchor, the pier, and the tower. That was the first step. And he did it through inspiring me to write three different stories, one of which became a published novel. Uh, the first one the Holy Spirit inspired me to write was a fantasy uh, quest story set in the Dark Ages with the Vikings. Now, the cli- each one of these, I'm going to focus on the climax of each one and how they helped me. The climax for the hero, he was presented a choice by the devil. He was on a quest to find Thor's hammer, and he found it. And it was embedded in the tree of life and death right down the middle. And he had a choice. Okay, the choice was, are you going to get the hammer the easy way or are you going to get the hammer the hard way? And so the easy way was cutting through the dead side of the tree. But before he could do that, he had to kill an innocent child to do that. The hard way was cut through the live part of the tree but face the devil's dragon to get to that, to get your goal that way. The character took the hard way out, and he saved the innocent child and destroyed the dragon, but at the same time he lost his eyesight in in the process. So the message that came to me through writing that story was, choose life and embrace Mikey's life in totality. Fight even the devil himself to protect him. That was the first message that came to me through my writing. The second one, I wrote a, a novel, World War II spy novel called Ruby Eyes, which was close to being published but never was published. They didn't pull the trigger on it. And God the Father, through that writing, uh, I'm sorry, um, through that writing, the Holy Spirit he brought about together a pier of, of the bridge. The hero is faced with another moral dilemma in this story. Upon learning his wife's a double agent working both for the OSS, the American side, and the Soviet side, he's faced with what he has, what he, what should he do? Should he turn her in or remain loyal to her? So in the story, I had he chose to remain loyal and save her life. So the second message to me was, choose life and remain loyal to your family. Wow. The third part. The third one, the third story that became an actual published novel that sold pretty well in Europe. It didn't sell much here, but in Europe it did. It's very popular in England. It's called the Alpha Treaty. This is where the Holy Spirit built the tower, right? The hero in the Alpha Treaty was faced with the moral dilemma. So I have all of these stories, as every story, the hero is faced with a moral dilemma. Everything this hero worked for in his life was entirely destroyed. Everything he planned for the future was gone. Everything he planned for his people and his and his and his family 
was occupied by his enemies, who were an inferior race of human beings. So his dilemma was, do I destroy these enemies that we've been fighting for centuries with, or do I live among them and teach them how to become better human beings? I had that he chose to live with them and teach them to become better human beings. The message back to me was, choose life and teach Mikey to be a better human being. At this point in time, Holy Spirit did his work. Now, writing that, that was written from 1991 to 1995. So within those four years, those four stories reestablished the connection to that bridge in my heart, these writings. The Holy Spirit is my creative ability to get a message to me, showing all these different moral dilemmas, and it came back to the same theme of life, your loyalty of family, and teach your son to be a better human being. Now the second, so would you say then that hope would hope be found in recognizing your strengths? Yes, hope is also found in recognizing where your talents lie and also recognize who gave you those talents because there's a great purpose for those talents. You don't realize what it is. There is an eternal purpose for your talent because you are a unique creation. And being a unique creation, your talent... If you don't exercise it properly, it is your contribution to building the kingdom of God is lost forever. It's not lost temporarily. Right. Lost Absolutely. So if you don't exercise those, first of all, I believe that we here, this is a laboratory of love. And we're, God gave us this life for self-awareness and service to others. But once you've got that self-awareness of what your talents are and what you're talented at doing... Exercise it to build the kingdom of God. And what, you'll never fail at doing that. You'll, you may not get any recognition, or you may not get any monetary benefit from it, but that's not the point. The point is, you have an eternal treasure that you need to share with everyone. And part of the sharing is coming on your show and talking about these things that, as you said, are pretty personal, which I never did before. And I appreciate that very much. I appreciate that very much. And uh, it's uh, 7.30 here on the East. Uh, you're listening to Undivided Episode 3, Hope Over Despair. Uh, special guest this evening is Mr. Dennis Marshall. And uh, uh, promotion coming up, Erica, Weeder Light Show. Uh, next episode is Monday, the 7th of August at 2 p.m. over on the Life Coach chat channel. And that's, again, Erica, Weeder Light Show. Monday the 7th at 2 p.m. Eastern on a Life Coach chat channel, part of the family of the Life Coach radio networks. And so, Dennis, as we um, move forward here, as I had mentioned in the open, you know, you can choose to uh, live your life in, in, in this despair, but some people really struggle with it on a daily basis. Their internal dialogue, as I like to call it, is one of despair. A uh, deacon, uh, uh, deacon that I had from a uh, parish that I used to go to in Long Branch told us a story once about when they were in the seminary. Uh, the old story goes that uh, the devil and God went back and forth and said, well, what tools do you want me to give you? And the devil said, I'll take despair uh, because with that one tool, I could get all the other ones back. 
I could put that much pressure on, on, on a human that I could get everything back from them just by exerting that. And I always thought that was an interesting story and, a, and an interesting way that they talked then in the seminary about despair. So it leads me to the whole conversation about bullying. I know that you've had some background in education. Uh, I want to get your take on that, about bullying and cyberbullying from the perspective of someone that's been in a classroom for a number of years, and to talk a bit about that, and also about how do we deal with that? How do we deal with people that have to overcome despair and resort to self-harm or, uh, or addiction or suicide? Interesting you bring that up. I, I taught religious education for six years as um, you know, part-time. It wasn't my full-time job. I was working in Manhattan, and I was a project man, actually a project director for a small company. And one of the things I would bring to the kids on the first few days in September, it was September 15th, the first class. I had them write September 16th in the year. Let's say the year was 2000. And I said, okay, write down all your problems today, what they are, in 10 seconds. You see the children are feverishly writing everything that's bothering them. Some of them could get five things down. Some of them could get ten things down, like one, one second per item. Then I asked them to stop. And then I said, okay, put down September 18, 1995 on the back of the paper. Now you have five seconds to write down every problem you had five years ago now. Without fail, <laughs> they can't find one problem from five years ago. It's okay, I'll make it a little easier. How about last year, on this day, at this time, 7.30 at night, write down all your problems. Invariably, they could not write one down. And I said, okay, um, ladies and gentlemen, temp your problems are temporary. A year from now, you may not have them. A year from now, you may not remember them. Five years ago, five years from now, you will not remember them. And you, we've proven that tonight by this little exercise. So no matter what's happening in your life, the future will hold something different for you. And you will not. So don't make any rash judgments on anything that's happening now. And a lot of the children that I taught are now adults. They have families. They're in their 20s. Some are in their 30s. And I see them sometimes around town here in Woodbridge, New Jersey. And they come up to me and they said to me, you know, I remembered this lesson about writing my problems down. And I used that with my own kids. And then it helps them a lot. So it's like that one little tool that I came up with on the fly with this, with the kids, helped a lot. So if, you've, if you're battling something, as I was battling, you know, year over year things change. And Mikey got better year over year. He had gotten to a point where you know, he could read and he can, um, he can enjoy going and get a haircut. He can enjoy going out to dinner, things that we couldn't do. At one point in time, we could only go to two places, McDonald's and Grandma's house. There was only two places we could go to out of the thousands of places you can go because he could not stand going to any other place. So things do change. Things do get better. And bullying, unfortunately, follows everyone in their pocket now through their cell phone, through their mobile device. When I was a kid in school, there was bullies and what have you. You know, you left them in the school, and they didn't come home with you 
or they didn't follow you and they weren't after you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But today it's totally different. It's a totally different scenario for our children and even our young adults. So they, what you have to come down to is what I tell my kids, and I tell a lot of the kids of my friends' kids as well, is you got to know the source. What is the source of the criticism? If the source of the criticism is your mother and father, you've got to know that the criticism, criticism they're giving you is to keep you safe. You have to make that assumption. All right? Criticisms of your friends are out of jealousy. And the criticisms of people that are not out of your friends are totally out of context with who you really are. So you've got to know the source of where these criticisms are coming from. Um, and let's say verbal bullying is just as harmful as physical bullying. Now, physical bullying, at one point you get the law involved and, and take steps there in that regard. But verbal bullying and verbal put-downs, there's really potentially, there's no, I think the laws may be changing, but I don't know if there are too many right now that handle that. So you've got to have those techniques of you got to know the source, and you've got to put the put the right amount of weight to that. And that's very difficult for teenagers, and it's very difficult for the kids that were in my classes for those six years, because they're getting further and further away from their parents in the way of the parental influence, and more and more and more in the peer influence, and that's a different ballgame altogether. That's true. More and more, yeah. That is, and then it's it's almost all this negativity I've spoken about before that kind of is pervaded by the culture, and we've got to flip that to positive action, uh, positive thought process, uh, connecting people to their, I call it this, as they talk about social work, the strengths perspective we talk about in, co- in coaching, building people up by their strengths, which I've talked about in earlier episodes of this show. Yeah, that's really important, I think, and it drives as we look at bridging the divide in the segment of the show about that, which we kind of segued into uh, here, and how do we bridge one side from being this very negative area of desperation to an area of hope and, and light for people. And I think it's just that. It's uh, helping to remind each other that we are connected. As you said, people came into your life, and they people that weren't even uh, Christian or Catholic coming to church with you, people coming you know, to the barbershop, so your son felt better. People, we're, we've all got our oars in the water, and we're all pulling the same place. And that's part of why I think society tries to get us thinking that's not the case. And I'm trying to get people reconnected into realizing that, you know, we are not alone there. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, interestingly enough, I had in, in AT&T many years ago, we had a team building uh, session, and it was conducted by a rabbi. And one of the things, the main thing I remember what the rabbi was saying was, we are all swimming in rant soup. environment that we're in is counter to our value system, human beings. And we're all in this soup together. And he says, and, and, and he was a little um, funny about it. He says, remember, you don't open your mouth. You keep swimming. So he was saying the environment is very toxic. And this was, I want to say, 30 years ago. Now it's off the charts, the toxicity of an environment. So what do you, what, how do you protect yourself from this? First thing I think from perspective of uniting the community is, if it's snowing out, 
when you have an elderly neighbor who can't get out, shovel her walkway for her. Because her grandkids may not get there to shovel her walkway. If you've got a neighbor with a car problem, call AAA on your, on your dime, or you help them get it owed to the local, local shop. If you've got kids who are locked out of their house, which just happens to me in my neighborhood, you know, you have the kids come in your house. It's a matter of the elements. So you've got to, you've got to start locally. Yes, it's starting um, small. Absolutely. It starts small it, with interpersonal interaction. Yeah. Right. And your kids, I agree. I was, I was very much touched one time, negatively, <laughs> when I was 12 years old, my first airline flight, when the stewardess talks about cabin pressure decreasing and the, the potential of the oxygen mask. Oh, sure, yeah. And she says, put it on your face first before you go to help any child. I got highly insulted thinking that she wants me to die. But the truth of that is you are no good to anyone if you are not intact. If you're not intact spiritually with the the Lord, you're not intact physically with your surrounding environment, with your family, or if you're not intact emotionally to handle some of these things, you need to put that oxygen mask on yourself first. You need to get yourself the help that you need first before you can even attempt to help anyone outside of who you are. So it's sort of like it's sort of like three concentric circles. The internal one is you, the next one is your family, and the next one is the rest of the world. You can't be moving the needs around. You can't supersede the rest of the world's needs over your families or your own. And you've got to be able to put everything in its proper place. So what you do is use that same analogy of the oxygen mask coming down. Make sure whatever oxygen you need, you get it. And God will provide it to you. You will provide that oxygen and mask. You also think of the, the suffering of a cross and, and the shared burden that we all have of, you know, pick up your cross and follow me came to mind for me in planning for this show, you know. Uh, take up your cross, follow me. We're all sharing in that. We all have our own crosses to carry on of our shared burdens uh, that we carry as communities, as societies. Uh, And that's, I think, a big part of this conversation as well. I wanted to uh, open it up at this point to some callers. Uh, Again, I had given the uh, number at the top of the show. It's 646-716-9397 if you have a question or a comment or something to add to this um, important dialogue on having hope in the midst of despair, uh, 646-716-9397 is the number to call, and we open it up to an uh, interactive uh, segment at this point in our program. If you, again, have a question for Dennis, for myself, uh, feel free to call in, 646-716-9397 is that number. So as we move forward, talking about that, having that that shared Burden, you know, suffering is part of our condition walking this earth. We're all going to suffer. That's a, that's a given. That's a guarantee. Uh, you've had some interaction, obviously, in your own life and with others that are suffering. Uh, how did you help them find hope? How did you direct them towards the cross? All right, well, 
God is very, very interesting. In, very interesting in a way of, I always think He parachutes people into your midst. And they give you a little bit of a background. Um, my youngest son endeavored to become a musician, professional musician, and he's been traveling the oh, world for five years. For one second, we have a we have a caller here, Dennis. And so oh. I'm just going to put him up and see. We have a call coming through. Hang on for one second. Let me see if I get this up. Uh, yes, you're on the air. If you could uh, lower the uh, speakers on whatever you're listening to. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? And question or comment, please. Hey, Frank and Dennis. My name's Nick. It's from uh, Holmdel, New Jersey. How you guys doing? Oh, thanks, Nick. We're doing good. Hey, Nick, you thank you for okay. calling in. Oh, of yes. course, Frank. Uh, first off, great, great show. Really enjoying the episode. And uh, I just had a comment I, I want to make because I think it's so appropriate you guys are doing uh, an episode on hope and despair because I, uh, at my job today, I was with a customer who came in and he looked like he really needed to talk. So uh, I was talking with him for probably about five or ten minutes and he had a cast on his arm. And the gentleman was from the islands. He came here a few years ago and he works uh, as said, computer IT. And He's been out of work now for a while after getting injured, and it was a situation that naturally some people would have despair, that it's kind of tough, they're uh, out of their normal way of things, and he kept saying to me that, you know, uh, God has something better in store for me. I know that he's, he's praying, and he knows that he's going to be set on a new track. So I was kind of thinking about uh, that situation today when I was listening to the show and how somebody is literally looking at hope, looking at what is better for me ahead, what's going to change, what does God have in store uh, opposed to looking at the negatives of the situation. So I thought that was very appropriate to what you guys were talking about. Oh, yeah, thank you, Nick. It is. It, it's a, a great example of that. How could someone, you know, in that situation, you would think the, the woe is me, the desperation of what am I going to do? How am I going to pay my bills? Uh, and instead he has this outlook of, well, one door closes and God will open another uh, another door or window for me, and, and that's so countercultural uh, to to what we're you know the societal messaging is. So thank you for bringing that to us. I I really appreciate it. I appreciate the call. Yes, thanks guys. Uh, have a great rest of the show. I'll be listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Nick. Yeah, and, and just to piggyback on that, in our society, we're taught to be supermen and women, like to solve our own problems instead of relying on help of other people. And it's very difficult to ask for help. And that individual coming into the store and talking and Paul availing himself to that conversation was a, a Holy Spirit-inspired moment in his life. Yes. Yes, it, it really sounds like it was, and and again, that speaks to what we talked about before we went on air a couple of days ago about the isolationism that goes on, how people feel like they're you know on this island, and and everyone's separated, you know, parents, uh, teachers, kids, other people, other adults in the uh, on the PTA, let's say. Just in a school setting alone, you, you see this isolationism. And then in neighborhoods, as I talked about in another show, people don't even know who lives next door to them or down the street from them. There, there's so much uh, division. There's so much isolationism going on. Uh, how do we uh, break free from that? How do we uh, 
form a different mindset, uh, if you will? How do we coalesce around a, a mindset of, of community and that we're all one uh, uh, working together here? You know, the biggest team building technique uh, I've been taught is that through adversity, a team comes together. And that was shown during 9-11. What happened to the United States, the team came together through adversity. Everyone had American flags out. Everyone had a certain level of, of uh, patriotism. But we began over the, since that we've been cannibalizing each other based upon preferences of thought and preferences throughout the course of humanity's history. And we have to we have to really know that everyone beneath the skin has the same blood. We might have three different blood types, we have the same blood. And we're only here so many spins around the sun before we have to make an accounting for ourselves. And other people you may come across may not have that same philosophy or theology that you have, but they're still bound by that same reality. So you have to treat everyone with a level of respect and dignity served to them as a child of God. You also have to set a very good example. Someone comes to you with a problem. As Paul did, he listens. He listens. I think listening... If you, if you watch any of these talk shows, these political talk shows, no one is listening to anyone else shouting over each other. And that's state of affairs today. We have to take a step back and we have to listen. And we have to be active listeners. And what's meant by an active listener is not, not waiting to formulate your response and yourself or to make a point and see what the person's telling you what is the salient point of what that person is describing that you can open a door for them to a solution? And I'll give you another example. We were in Macy's many years ago, and we came across one of my son Michael's um, schoolmates. And her, her sister said to us, we don't know what to do with her because school ended. And we just said to her, did, did she check out program Mikey's in. Mikey's in something called the Edison Sheltered Workshop. And what the Edison Sheltered Workshop is set up to do is to, is to do light fact work for the local businesses in central New Jersey and then work to do uh, putting things in boxes or stuffing envelopes, whatever the case is. Gives them some outlet to do some productive work. And she didn't know any of that. She's, this young woman was sitting at home watching TV. Well, now... Seven years wow. later, she's a major member of this workshop now. And if it wasn't for that particular listening to recognizing that, and uh, this is because we know her through the, fam the autistic families that we know. Culturally, she was someone from the Middle East who was a Muslim family, a Muslim girl. And if we were to take it today and follow what's being thrown at us at certain times, they wouldn't want, some folks wouldn't want me to talk to anybody other than my peers and myself. So the, exactly, the, exactly. The differences are to be embraced because God put them there for a reason. If we were all the same, one microbe could wipe the entire population out if we were all the same. So we are different. And, and we're all children of God. And we're all yes. children of God. And 
Yep. And and reaching out to that person, that that person that's struggling. I had a colleague the other day who was struggling with some stuff, and I was um, preparing to leave, and um, I actually had a call set up. I had something to do uh, that evening, and I had a number of other things to do after it. And but I stayed. I listened. I was present to that person. Uh, I looked at it as in, in the moment being there and being present as, as coaching would teach us uh, and, and just listening to the person and saying to them, well, look, I have to think about how I can help you, but here's a couple of questions I would like you to think about and, and formulate something. And then when I see you again, let's reconnect on this. When I saw the person again, they said, you know, um, thanks for listening. And I felt bad. I felt like I at least could have given you some advice. I could have done some more for you. And they said, no, just by being there, just by listening to me when I really needed someone to talk to, helped me find the answers. And the questions that you asked me really helped me find the answers that I knew were within me. And so then I knew how to move forward with it. And that made me feel good because I was feeling very badly about that, about that interaction because I was initially thinking about what I had to do. And, and I had to stop myself and step beyond that and, and be there. So I think it's, it's something as small as that in, in our interaction here that's showing me that it's just being there for someone and, uh, and helping them. That will at least flip their perspective from this negative thinking to, to some positive thinking. Uh, at this point, um, uh, what do you think is, is a good starting point? Is that the starting point? Is it just being there for people uh, as far as writing the ship, so to speak? Is that where we go? How do we, how do we stop this spiral of, of what we're seeing in the news, this, this downward spiral of people feeling like no one cares, this, the suicide epidemic? How, how do we solve that? How do we stop this? Is that the step? Is that how we go from here? Well, one of the things that come to mind is you have to be okay with yourself. You have to be comfortable with your own failings because no one is perfect. And you have to be able to forgive yourself first before you can forgive anybody else logically. And you've got to seek forgiveness of your failings from God. Um, the Catholic Church offers the Sacrament of Reconciliation every Saturday in my parish. Um, when I was a kid, there used to be very, very long lines. Now if you could be in and out of there in two minutes. So there's a, there's a disconnect between personal responsibility for sin, especially sins of omission. Um, in the gospel, the biggest sin of the rich man That's is, true. Was, is that he ignored Lazarus at his gate who was dying. That was his sin. That was what's in the gospel. So you have to be aware of who your neighbor is. It could be anyone you meet in the street. It could be anyone you meet in the airport. That's who your neighbor is. And you have to know that you're, you're going to be imperfect. But if you work for God and you work build the kingdom of God through your talent and your personality, let's say, you may think you failed, but maybe all the Holy Spirit wanted to do was for you to plant a seed, and he's in charge of the harvesting of it, maybe 20 years from now, 30 years from now, or 10 days from now. 
But we get caught up, I believe, in having to solve all the problems ourselves. Um, Having the the pressure on the parents for autistic children to go and solve the problem of autism by themselves, join all these different committees, join all these different clubs and, and, and areas, and spend all their money on all these different new technologies or breakthrough procedures, whatever the case is, that some families can ill afford to do. But they feel that pressure, that societal So you have to step away from the noise and the society, for pressure in the society because that will lead you down a lot of dead ends. And as you mentioned, the suicide epidemic. I'll give you a very... Uh, very clear um, experiences I've had with two uh, two suicides. I worked in AT&T, as I mentioned earlier. I don't work there any longer. I, I've been working in the pharmaceutical industry for the past 10-plus years. And when I was there, I had an engineering team in Florida. And I had this one engineer, and he always was very gloomy. Everything was, the glass was half half empty. There was nothing I could do to make him laugh or joke around. I never met the man face-to-face. Everything was over the telephone. And one day, I say to him, as we're working on a project together, no, this isn't the end of the world, what we're doing here. And he said to me, um, you, maybe. And that was the last time, and he faxed me at the time. There was no emails. He faxed me all his information. And I looked at it the next day, and it was wrong. It, it was wrong by a magnitude of two-thirds. So I go to call him up. Wow. I call his extension, and there's no answer to his extension. And then I go to the next telephone number and the next telephone number. So I get to, like, the fifth number, and someone picks up the phone, and I said, Hi, is Jeff there? And then there's dead silence on the line. And they say to me, um, why do you want to talk to Jeff? I said, well, we were working until o'clock last night, and he did all this, this um, all these numbers for me, and they're wrong by two-thirds. Someone has to fix this before I go into this meeting. And they said, what time was that? I said, it was like 5, I got the facts, like 5.58. They said, um, Jeff went home last night and killed himself at 6.15. And I hit like a ton of bricks. I did not pick up on any, any of those cues that he was that, that desperate, that he was that much in despair. And I was like, oh, my God. man that I've been working Mm -hmm. with for the last three months on this project that I thought was just, you know, a negative person from a perspective of lack of optimism really had serious problems that I was unaware of. And I was talking to him almost uh, every single day, three months. But what happened was, what can I do for him now? I had masses said for him. And that's what we have as the treasury of the, of the church. We have exactly. the mystery of intercession for people, especially for people who have passed on. So that was my only solution I had for this. Now, within six months of that event, I come I come into a church in Midtown Manhattan, and I stumble upon a man who is attempting suicide. Wow! And I was 
I was able to calm him down enough for when the priest came that he was able to drop the straight-edge razor on the floor and get the help he needed. So if you... This is, what I, this, is how God, this is how God works in as I've seen. He's going to send you someone that he needs you to do certain things for, but he may not tell you exactly what. I was totally clueless with Jeff, but this one was very direct, going directly into that church and directly to a certain pew where it was between me and him, no one else was paying attention to what was going on, and I had to put my hand on his shoulder to try to calm him down. Sometimes God is going to either parachute someone into your lap or he's going to parachute you into someone else's lap to help. And you've got to pay attention because you could be sometimes the only person between the breach of total despair to a point of someone's harming themselves or total acceptance of what has to happen next, the next day. So there, exactly. therein, lies, so, therein lies that mystery. It's a mystery. And just in preparation for this show, I'm, I'm thinking about things and going over certain things with, with bogging my memory. And my son had a concert, Matthew, in um, the, the um, Sony PlayStation Theater with the number one Japanese rock band. His rock band is Palisades, and they're pretty big um, internationally in, the, in a certain genre. So what happens is we're leaving there, and one of his friends... Um, comes up to us and can, can we talk a little bit? So we wound up talking and walking this person back to meeting her boyfriend, like 10 blocks. And in those 10 blocks, I was able to see the same level of questioning and despair and, and anger at God that I had had for those 10 years from 1991 to 2001. And I invited wow. her to this call I had sent this off, so hopefully she's able to dial in. If not, I'll send it a link to where you probably record this. So, Yes, it's archived. Yeah, nice nice plug for that too, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, right? So he, he parachuted this person. I have no idea that I'm going to have this conversation about faith and losing your faith and questioning, you know, why did God take a beloved family member away from me? I wasn't ready for that. That was That was what she was talking about. And in a way, the future I had for Mikey was taken away. I felt his whole life was washed away. But as, as time went on, there was such utter joy after those 10 years, after I came to that point of departure between letting it all go and surrendering to God's will, I learned that my son Michael is a, a living saint. He doesn't sin of his own free will. He's pure of heart. He'll never lie to you. He'll do exactly what he's what he's going to do, and he's got no malice. So who really needs to be healed in those 10 years? It wasn't him. In God's eyes, he's pure of heart. He's going to see God. That's what it was said in the gospel. I'm the one that needs healing, and I ultimately got it. But it, like I said, it took that span of time. Because part of the reason was I was a very recalcitrant person. There was a lot of pride there that was damaged um, through that. And it had to get me to a certain point where the person I am today, I'm nowhere near that person back in 1991 when we found all this stuff out. So there lies another life lesson. Things that are affecting you at a certain age and stage in your life may be of 
it could be it's going to be tremendous consequence to your future. But once you get to the future, you look back, it wasn't it was something that was there to direct you in a certain path that God wanted you to go down. I don't know how many times people have come up to me that were classmates of Mike in the school system in Woodbridge that said, I want to be a doctor because I want to now try to find a cure for Mikey's and Mikey's kids like him. Or I want to be a nurse and I want to take care of, of the disabled because I love Mikey. There were so many, we got so many letters from these eighth graders who were doing the community service, dozens and dozens of them, saying how much they loved him and wanted to do something in their careers, future careers, to help the disabled. So Michael's life was not the life I chose for him or imagined for him, but it's the life, he's a lightning rod of love. And that's the way God wants it. That's the way God overcame any of this disability, because he's pure. He could drive you crazy. He, he could ask you a million and one questions. He wanted the same answer, but he's pure. So people and come what, to the what house. what a testimony. It's yeah. pure. What a testimony. And, and what, what's funny is at night, you know, we do this little routine where we have the sacred heart, and I say, Lord, from your wounds to his wounds. And he says, good night, Jesus. I think that some of the, those wow. are some of the best prayers that come out of my household is him just saying, good night, Jesus. Now, we could say rosaries, and we could do all these different types of prayers, but his is pure. And it's the same with a homeless person. You help a homeless person, and they say, God bless you. Guess what? God is so aligned with the homeless that he's blessing you that moment. Exactly. And and look at the, the importance and the value of every human life. Every human life is sacred, and, and we have this uh, cultural message about the elderly and people with disabilities and people uh, with traumatic brain injury and people with uh, different long-term illnesses. Oh, you know, that's just going to be a drain on what you want to do. And that's, it couldn't be further from the truth. Every human life is sacred. Every human life is important. Every human life is, is endowed by God. And that's where I wish I could get that message. If, if there's no other takeaway from this show tonight, if you know someone that's struggling, if you know someone that seems like they've been different, they've been changed, uh, they're acting differently, they're more reserved, please reach out to them in some small way. Please be what I like to call a little beacon of light for them and, and a light in a world of darkness. Please do that for these people, for people that are struggling, and there's so much around us, but there's so much light and there's so much positivity, and life is precious and life is worth it. So please, if if you know anyone and you take anything out of this, this show this evening, I hope you take more than one thing, that's really the point of this is there is hope, and there's hope in tomorrow. There's hope in, in tonight at 9 o'clock. You know, that there's always that one moment, and that's that, that one moment that can change. And you make that conscious change, or you help someone make that conscious change, they're going to change their life, and they're going to turn it around for good, and you have to be there. And, and as Dennis said, you know, be open to that. As Bill Ross, my guest last week, his book, Holy Spirit Radio, be in tune with that. Be in tune with the Holy Spirit, that voice inside of you, your consciousness. Uh, we talk about coaching, being able to connect someone to the spiritual is the, is the best thing that we can do for them, is the greatest breakthrough that we can give. 
I'm hoping that you can realize that within yourselves. Listen to those prompts. Be there for those people. Unfortunately, um, we're out of time here, Dennis. I, I want to thank you for coming on the program. Uh, we went a little bit beyond. I thought it was good because we, we had a number of things that we went through. I appreciate with beyond words uh, uh, you being so open to coming on, being so honest with uh, the personal uh, matters that you discussed. And just Dennis's testimony, being there for someone in a, that was trying to take their own life, be there for people. And, and that's really the, the, the discourse that you know, we had tonight. That's, that's the distillation of it. Be there for people. Uh, my next show is going to be on uh, Wednesday, the 16th of August at 7 p.m. It's uh, tentatively right now the technology show. Uh, I'm scheduled to have Steve Rook as my guest, a brilliant young mind in technology, how to use technology for good. Uh, Dennis, thank you very much. If you want um, uh, Dennis to come do any kind of speaking, uh, let, let me know. Come to me through my website. I can connect Dennis with you. Right, Dennis? You want to do some motivational stuff? Oh, yeah, sure. That would be, uh, be my pleasure. Awesome. So, yeah, uh, uh, hit me up through that, and then we'll, we'll connect you through. Uh, Dennis does some motivational speaking for groups. Uh, if you need any help from either one of us, we'd be happy to come out and do some uh, motivational speaking, speak to a group at your parish, at your community center, uh, what have you. Uh, uh, for everyone here at Life Coach Radio Network, uh, I want to just uh, shout out to Brenda Baird. She's got a big program going on August 8th. It's a Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central. Uh, so check that out. It's a leadership program. Linda Stevens-Jones, her program next show is on the 15th at noon on Life Coach Radio Network. That's August 15th at noon. And then I'll be back with you all on Wednesday, August 16th, believe it or not, at 7 p.m. Uh, the Technology Show with Steve Rook. This has been Undivided, Hope Over Despair, Episode 3. Until I see you all again, be blessed and be well. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you. Be well, everyone.